hey, hey, uh, it's Dash. Gee, I've never, I've never said, hey, hey, hi, it's me. I'm Dash. You know who I am uh, because you've been listening to this show, presumably. Um, today's episode is just a, a preview of the upcoming, um, the upcoming arc of Lost in the Multiverse, uh, which I'm calling Harvest Cove. Um, I had a thing where I had everyone record um, a little sort of like preview description of their character, but honestly, I think it'll be better if we just wait for next week for that and we let everyone sort of talk through their characters as we do a little bit of character creation um, on the episode. I'm really excited about that. Uh, The characters are really cool. I'm so excited to see how they all interact with each other. It sort of threw me for a little bit of a loop how I'm going to tie them all together. Um, And you will see, and I'm so excited for that. Um, But so today, you are getting content, and that content is a preview. It's a preview that I recorded um, with the cast. they got to hear this this thing that sort of leads into the story that they're about to play. So I'm going to play that audio for you right now. Um, yeah, I'm so excited for this upcoming um, arc, saga, whatever you want to call it. Um, I also made some new music, and this is going to be the theme song for the new uh, arc. And here it is. The sun had already been down for a few hours over the sleepy houses on East Sparrow Lane, but the soft light of the stars kept the road from complete darkness. East Sparrow Lane marked the first row of houses on the way into Harvest Cove. The townspeople referred to it jokingly as the point of no return. It was the first road connecting a long stretch of otherwise empty highway to the secluded seaside borough. There were about a dozen homes on East Sparrow Lane, and in spite of their proximity to the highway, the residents usually slept soft and soundly. The highway saw a little traffic at odd hours during the day, but was very seldom traveled in the evening. It was part of a scenic route, twisting and winding around enough of the oceanside cliff faces that most drivers sought alternate pathways at night, when the risk of driving off a narrow road and into the sea seemed highest. Tonight, in spite of the hour, East Sparrow Lane bristled with movement. Irregular footsteps padded softly out as a single figure hobbled across, moving as swiftly as his wounded leg would allow. The soft trail of blood ebbing slowly from the wound in this man's thigh traveled down his leg and across the bare skin of his foot, dripping in splotches onto the pavement. The light of the moon shone brightly in the red, vaguely foot-shaped bloodstains across the asphalt of East Sparrow Lane. Later this night, a small coastal rain would pick up, washing the traces of this man and his wound into the dirt and soil. But now, in the rainless evening, there was no mistaking where he had stumbled through. He glanced from side to side at the houses as he pushed forward. There was no way for him to be sure. At least not here. He would have to make his way to the highway before he could catch his breath. Movement in his peripheral brought his attention to the edge of the lane. It was a car moving slowly, headlights off, in his direction from towards the town. If he continued straight, it would overtake him in no time. The man took a sharp left turn and barreled over the low fence intended to protect the backyard of a home from exactly this sort of intrusion. He let out a soft and pained exhale as he hit the edge of this yard and saw past the table in the barbecue pit. The yard just sort of fell off into what he could now see was a fairly jagged cliff face. He took a moment and imagined the sunsets here, which he thought must be beautiful to watch. 
as the sound, like the chirping of some strange metal bird, escaped into the yard behind him. And from below him, he began to see a distant, faint yellow glow. Jeremiah Wright had been sitting here behind the wheel of a 1992 Ford Taurus hatchback for what would be seven hours as soon as the little digital read on his dashboard read 1.32 a.m. He bitterly acknowledged this milestone to himself as he gazed with rage at the young woman asleep in the passenger seat beside him. She had wanted to see the ocean. Driving up through San Diego and onwards to San Jose at the conclusion of a fairly mind-numbing trip to his family, the kids in the backseat had wanted to see the ocean as well. He considered, in a swell of petty glee, announcing loudly that if they now looked out into the inky blackness, they could see the sea. Of course, they wouldn't have been able to see anything but the moon reflected in the otherwise pitch-black water. It was too late even to distinguish the skyline as everything just sort of melded together in an overwhelmingly and fairly existentially terrifying shapeless night. He stared a moment too long into this nightmarish field before swerving jarringly as the rumble strips on the edge of the highway indicated to him that he would soon be driving off of the cliff face and into that wet darkness if he wasn't careful. He decreased his speed after the swerve, not wanting to drive so cavalierly through this fairly dangerous highway. Jerry, the voice of his wife, sounded softly from beside him in the car. Sorry, I, j I just had to drive a little slower here. Are we at the ocean? she asked, rubbing the sleep from her eyes as the children in the back seat also began to stir. We've been at the ocean for a while now, but it's nothing to see, so I figured I would just let you keep sleeping. Come on, Jerry, you, you knew I wanted to see the ocean. Her voice cracked with less anger than sadness. When she was a little girl, she and her father had taken trips up and down the coast like this, taking frequent stops to lose themselves in the inky void of the sea. The black space engulfing everything within eyeshot was comforting, like falling endlessly through the vacuum of space without ever having to fear the upward rushing earth. Well, fucking there it is, he replied through grit teeth. Language, Jer, she chided, confused by his tone but unsurprised. I I'd like it if we could pull the car over just so I could get out and look at it. We're making good time. I'd really rather not stop the car, he expressed, his eyes fixed on the road before him. Jerry, I get to do this maybe once a year, and I would really like it if we could just pull over for a few minutes. Her tone stiffened to match the posture she now assumed in the passenger seat of the car. There isn't even a good place to pull over, his voice, a quiet sound at the start of this conversation, now swelled softly like the invisible waves below, building to a point just below a shout. There are plenty of places to stop, Jerry. Her fists clenched and unclenched at her sides. These petty spats... These little fights, they weren't about anything, and yet they came more and more often. Jan, he finally shouted, as in stereo from the back their two children began to cry. Look what he began, but was interrupted by the harsh sound of metal crunching inward and glass breaking. The airbags on the vehicle exploded into the two passengers, presenting them from meeting their end at the hard dashboard of this Ford Taurus hashback as the impact forced Jeremiah Wright to slam on the brakes. The ringing in Janet's ears was deafening as she managed to open the passenger door and roll out into the car pull-off they had happened to stop beside. She was bleeding slightly from the edge where her forehead met her hair, but she found herself ultimately unharmed, though her breathing was stilted and harsh. With strength that surprised even herself, she stood to her feet, leaning against the now-stopped vehicle. She deduced that the children in the back seat were unharmed even though they were screaming, and as she glanced at her husband, he stirred uncomfortably in the driver's seat. I'm fine, 
He grumbled before she could ask, as she stumbled, still leaning against the vehicle to the hood, to see what had caused this impact, and it reminded her of a deer. Once while driving with her father through the redwoods, a deer had leapt out in front of the vehicle. The sudden lurch and the sound of flesh on metal had brought the memory back like a flash, though she was certain that deer didn't live here on the rocky coasts. Maybe a, a mountain goat, she wondered for a moment as she turned her eyes to the carnage. A shape, grisly but recognizable as a barefooted man, lay broken and embedded into the hood of their car. Instinctually, her hand shot into her pocket and she withdrew her phone. Her service was spotty here, but through a somewhat broken connection, she was able to make out 911, please state the nature of your emergency, before explaining as calmly and as clearly as she could what had just happened. She gazed up the cliff face their car now sat beside, wondering where this man had fallen from, but was ultimately unable to see anything. At the top of that cliff, two shapes, obscured completely in the darkness, shifted uncomfortably as they gazed down towards the accident scene below. Messy. One of them expressed with a grumble. Very messy. The other replied, unseen face contorted into a grisly look of dismay. That's it. That's the preview. That's the prologue. That's what happens before you all start playing in this game. Woo! Oh, yeah. That's cool. Can't wait. So, yeah, that's it. That's the one. That's our next thing. Um, Yeah, that's the end of this one. So, fuck yeah. We did it. We did it. Yeah. We did it. All right. Well, I'm going to text Sam and tell him to stop recording. (laughs)